There are a number of thank yous to give on this evening because it closes out the gospel meeting, not the least of which would be the good time of beginning in the classes, as you can well see the numbers there for Sunday morning and, and in our services together that we have got to meet one another and know you by name a little bit better, a little more. Appreciate so very much your friendship, your hospitality in every way. The uh, good food together that we enjoyed uh, just certainly shows that when you move to town, you don't have to lose the gift of cooking in a good way and good and delicious meals. And it was a great time. Miss Jane enjoyed it thoroughly. My wife is uh, secretary at South Panola High School. And as a result of that, uh, over the last 24 years of time now, she was admonished that even though we were moving from Batesville 30 miles north, to please drive back and finish up 25 years there in Sopanola in the schools. For her retirement monies and things of that nature, in case I'm not around, not available, that'll be to her benefit and good. She's still in good health, she enjoys that. But because of that, uh, being the secretary at the high school there, she has also the privilege of training the principals. And she, she uh, is affectionately called the guide of the school. She would say, oh, no, it's not my school. I don't guide them. But she has now, because of the moving of this present principal, she'll have her eighth principal to train coming into the fall of this year. But she'll finish up her 25 years and retire in that regard. And so she would have been here, but our phone starts ringing about 5 o'clock in the morning. And she gets the substitute teachers. And there, I don't know how they have schools. She doesn't really know how they do either. With between four, five, and 14 per day, it's just a, a mass of, of humanity. They're coming and going in the building to teach school and to be there. And uh, she has to be sure that the classes are covered. You just don't have these high school children to be all of a sudden in the class with no one there. Uh, you have to have them either. Some, somebody's got to be there along the way. And so that responsibility, and as a result of that, I don't need to put her through an extra time of travel, an extra hours of being here and getting back home about, uh, it's only a four to five minute drive, but it's that much drive up and that much drive back. And uh, so I excused her from this week time. She really enjoyed the Sunday with you as well and enjoyed the time we had in this gospel meeting in the beginning. She hadn't heard me in so many gospel meetings through the years. She's made a living in and made it possible for me to go places and be places. And, uh, but she really enjoyed being here on Sunday. Also enjoy very much the young people. Enjoy your singing, enjoy your, your way of thinking and doing. Uh, pictures that I've seen out there on the board. I just in, in thoroughly appreciate you. And since we have at Crockett uh, some 27 children, and only three or four of them, however, are 13, 14, or 15 years of age. All of them are younger than that 13 years of age. I need your help. I need your help to come and visit with us at certain times and events that, that we conduct and have there. Our youth days and events together. I need to meet good grown up young people like you are, good singing young people like you are, to get them off the doldrums and off the way of saying that old man with white hairs trying to lead us in this song. And it's a good thing to have you to be a part of that. I'll let you know, and surely some of you can come and be with us. Maybe as a group, you can come and be with us from time to time. And I will also tell you this, that I'm planning to be here the next fifth Sunday night that you lead, young men, that you lead the service here. I'm looking forward to knowing you and seeing you and inviting you to come lead singing for us at our youth day and things like that. It'd be just a good thing to be involved with you all. 
You know, uh, if I don't forget, that is. I'm reminded of the story of the gentleman and his wife that invited their two friends to come over to the house to eat a meal with them. And uh, after the meal that was a scrumptious meal, the two ladies were in the kitchen cleaning up. And the two gentlemen retired to the living room and sitting down in the living room, uh, one of the buddies said to his friend who was a host, uh, I understand you had some memory problems not long ago. He said, I did. He said, uh, how's that come out for you? He said, well, he said, I'm cured. That I had a fine doctor and fine idea. He said, he showed me various methods and everything like, like what he said. He said, well, he showed me methods like association and things like that to, to bring my mind back to memory and to remember things well and uh, things like that. He said, what was that doctor's name? I may need him in my future too. And he said, uh, oh, he said, uh, hmm. he said, you know, there's a plant that sometimes you put in a flower bed out in your front yard. Yeah, he said, uh, he said, it's a green plant. Well, I need a little more than that. He said, well, it grows a long stem and said it has leaves on it that are, that are rounded and all and they have little spines on them. There are little thorns on that. Oh, rose, rose. Yes, red roses. And said, said, rose, rose. He said, rose to his wife in the kitchen. What's the name of that doctor that I went to, please? <laughs> I'll try to remember you better <laughs> than that. <laughs> the bride of Christ, the wonderful bride of Christ, in Jeremiah chapter 2 and at verse 32, the prophet of God quotes the Lord. The Lord is saying regarding the people, they have forgotten me. They have delayed. They've gone away from me. And, and he brings a sharp contrast when he says, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet he goes on to say, my people. My people whom I have delivered, through whom I have cared, and through whom my work has been done in such a major way, have forgotten me. Sad is the case that the Lord's heart was heavy because his people had forgotten him. In the midst of that description and that great contrast, he mentions something that's rarely ever forgotten among mankind. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? There are special clothes to wear at that time of bridal ways. There are special events. And they're associated with the fitting and associated with the hair curling and associated with the radiant beauty of that bride. So privileged is that young groom to find himself in a position that sometimes when the doors are open and here's the, the dad and she's on the arm of her dad or or her best friend to come up that aisle, he hardly thinks that this is the one that he's dated all of these years and with whom he's made these plans because the radiance is of such nature, the attire is of such nature that it's just amazing. Is that really the person? And of course it is the person. It turns out to be the person and good help is offered to him in this home. Home life is so important to us, yet the Bible tells us that there are a number of things about marriage, and I want to begin with that thought to show you the preciousness of the Lord to his church in this regard. 
The idea of marriage is such a precious thing to God, a relationship that is a bonding, a, a commitment together. What our Lord was asked in regard to marriage there in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19 by those who were challenging him about the various codes that were being taught by the rabbinical rulers in days gone by. Jesus said from the beginning, it hath not been this way. He says uh, in the beginning God made them male and female and said for this cause shall man put away his father and mother and be joined unto his wife and they too become one flesh. The idea is an amazing, amazing thing. A wonderful relationship, a great love that is shared one with another. Yet we're warned in the Bible not to be people who find ourselves so involved in a sensual, worldly way of life that we mess up that time of our marriage, that we mess up that home life beginning, that we find ourselves obsessed with our activities of the flesh and the things of the world. And as a result of that, we don't give full attention to a good wife or to a good husband because of something in our past and some years that have gone by. For example, back in Proverbs chapter uh, 3 and verse 5, 5 rather, in verse 3. In chapter 5 of Proverbs in verse 3, he talks about a kiss that is more than a kiss. How that this strange woman has uh, a kiss that is a smoother than oil. I sometimes teach our young people at camp and the young people at vacation Bible school that it is a kiss that oozes like oil. It's more than it should be with unmarried people. It's more than it should carry on with unmarried folks. The idea there is mentioned, be cautious and be careful. It talks about this being a strange woman Description is given of this over in chapter 7 of the book of Proverbs. Uh, she may be a person who is as described there in Proverbs 7 and at verse 10 as having words that are flattery words. And by her words of flattery, it is said there by her much speaking of, of fair speech, she, she leads him, directs him, and, and with her words of flattery, she forces him. And you force somebody with words, the scripture says, yes, you can. And there are people who sometimes are willing to be forced. They feel like that they're so in love and so, so committed to this individual that the actual thing that they find later on is that it's been not love and commitment as described in 1 Corinthians 13 that believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails as we read in 1 Corinthians 13. And as a result of learning that lesson too late in life, sometimes young people look back and say that that was the lust that I was a part of life in. That's the way in which those words forced me as I was in this way of life. And so it is a sad situation. The outcome of it is described in the middle of those chapters. In chapter five, uh, the lips and the, the, uh, the kiss in chapter 7, the uh, unruly way and the concept of their, their being forced there to be a participant together in sin and wrongdoing. In chapter 6, however, in verse 32, the description is given of those who actually get into the deeds of adultery. And it is said, Whoso commits adultery with a woman hath not understanding. He that doeth it, doeth it to his own shame. A wound and dishonor 
shall he receive, and it shall not be easily wiped away. The idea of being involved and sensually involved to one with another is described there in that passage. It's described in the context, verse 34, of a very jealous individual. That jealous individual may not take very kindly to the action that's gone on in the un, un, lacking understanding and may find himself to be a person or herself being a person of fatal attraction and hatred therewith. And it is noted regarding that individual there in Proverbs 6 and at 34 that this person will not be disquieted though you give him many gifts. You may offer all kinds of things to, to quiet that individual down and get that jealousy, green with jealousy, you know, abated, but it will take more than just a little bit of gifts. It'll sometimes be impossible to get that quieted down. Though you give him many gifts, he will not be disquieted. When we find ourselves lacking understanding in doing things, what's the thing that's motivating us, young people and older people alike? We find ourselves these days with all kinds of situations that are going on in churches, even churches of our Lord. And we find ministers and preachers and various leaders and congregations, men and women alike, that are involved way beyond what they should be. And the description here in Proverbs 6 describes that. What is the idea of having this involvement without understanding? And the answer to that is a simple understanding for us, yet it's so simple, I think we miss it over and over again. I read and read about that. I studied and studied about that and found that the answer is that when we do things without understanding, we do things purely on the basis of emotion. Study it out yourself and see if that's what you would find. On the basis of emotion. And one of those emotions, and I found that out in a kind of obscure manner. I have worked with people through the years in local congregations that had the sadness in their hearts or lives that they came up expecting a child out of wedlock nine months after the high school dance, nine months after the death of a real friend, nine months after widowhood began, nine months after homecoming took place. Highly emotionally charged situations. And in my note taking, and I do take notes, by the way I have two of those books right here in my pocket right here, one's the older one, one's the newer one I just started with back uh, anyway. I do keep notes and I kept them for years and ages. And when I do keep those particular notes, I, I found that unwittingly, there it was, I'd been writing it all these years. Whoso gets into this way of life doeth it without understanding. He that doeth this doeth it to his own shame. There is a shame involved. There's a tragedy involved. A wound and dishonor shall he receive. Yes, there is disease that is associated. Don't carry that disease and don't carry that way of life. The idea, don't get into that kiss to begin with. Proverbs 5 and 3. Don't don't get into those words of flattery that will force you into a situation that you really otherwise without that emotion wouldn't go into. Proverbs 7 and 10. And find yourself doing things not from feeling because it's so dangerous just to do things from feelings. 
Religious activities ought to be done from understanding. That's why the gospel was to be preached and taught to individuals. The Lord didn't just try from, from feelings to get people to obey the gospel, but because of their understanding. The understanding first motivated them to want to obey the Lord and follow his righteous way. And today one of the more dangerous things that's happening in congregations far and wide and through peoples in the general religious world is that they're moving into this area where there are entertainments that are being done in the view of their, in lieu of their worship service. And so there's a performance that is being done. And there are certain people that are being miked for the purpose. Now I know the intent was probably to have the idea of better singing done by everyone overall. But what has been the result of it in many instances is the fact that the emotions have been raised by individuals and they find themselves that when that's not there, they can't worship in song. They can't sing like someone else does and they cannot participate in worship at all. And so they become spectators in those congregations, waiting for the big event, waiting for the wonderful sound to be emanated in their minds and in their ears. And instead of worshiping in spirit and in truth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter, and that's John 4, of course, you know. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in reference to that, he said, I will pray with the Spirit and what? The understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and the understanding also. The idea of understanding is to be a part of that way. And so in Ephesians 5 and verse 19, when he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, speaking to one another. In our day, we have pronouns in that particular passage. Originally, that's what they tell us, the, the, the wonderful students of that text tell us, that they were reciprocal nouns. And in reciprocal nouns, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that we're to speak to one another, and that can't be satisfied by a choral group singing to us. It can't be satisfied by a soloist singing for us. It can only be satisfied when we blend our voices in speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The instrument was the heart. And so the idea of having the understanding of those words as you read in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, and the idea of singing in such a way that you praise the way of the Lord to be the spiritual walk of the Lord. As we talk tonight in regard to the bride of Christ, the significant things with which I introduced this lesson in this, this somewhat longer introduction tonight is the idea about having a marriage that is not based upon just emotion first, but an understanding, a love, a something that's going to last, not a lust that's going to be temporary and filled with problems and troubles, but an understanding, a way of life that the Lord wanted us to have, to enjoy. You know, we find ourselves in this way, worshiping the Lord tonight in a blend. Probably if we were to separate one by one, each one of us, and say, okay, you sing this line, you sing this line, you sing this line, you sing this line, we wouldn't sound anything like when we blend all of our voices and sound together as we sing with the Spirit and the understanding also. And wonderful it is to have that to be the case. And when we get involved into a marriage, we want to have that understanding. And because we have that understanding, 
we can make it a better home and a better way of life. In reference to the uh, house of God and the body of Christ and the church of the living God, those are all metaphorical expressions to tell us about a relationship to the Lord, the family of God, the house of God, the church, the called out people of the Lord, the body of Christ, the members of that body working and laboring together. It's not uncommon then to think in regard to this matter that when we get to Ephesians chapter 5 and we have reference made to the church being the bride of Christ, that this relationship that exists of a husband and wife who love dearly one another and care for one another in a way that the Lord wanted to have done is used by Paul here, directed by the Spirit of God, to write about this, the bride of Christ, the church. Follow with me as we read along here in Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 20. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. In these verses, do we not see the introduction that I've made tonight? That the Lord wants this particular bride to be by choice coming to him. He wants this bride to be washed from her wrongdoings. Maybe it is that that lifestyle of which we mentioned there in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 was formerly a lifestyle of this individual, needing forgiveness, needing the Lord's love and forgiveness, needing the Lord's deliverance from that way of life. Here is one, one person who's going to find that. Here's an individual that says, wash me, Lord. Make me as white as snow. Care for me. Be a part of my heart and life. Save me, Lord, Ephesians 5 and 23. He's the Savior of this, the church. When we find ourselves being the people of the Lord and His way, we'll be people that appreciate what He can do for us. And when a woman is dating a man and sees that he cares for her, he wants the best outcome for her. He wants a good outcome for her. He's going to make every effort to be there on time. He's going to be, make every effort to be helpful. He's going to make every effort to plan out a future so that she will be cared for. The Lord has done this in a great spiritual way. 
And thus the very point is made here of the gift of Jesus for our sins. Because in verse 25, husband love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The idea of this bride of Christ being so loved by the Lord that he gave himself so that in the shedding of his blood, the complete commitment of himself, that it might be possible that sins could be washed away. That old way of life could be pushed aside. That has to, from the heart, be a part of our desires. We have to want to be that kind of individual. And as we do, that man is going to care for us and care for us in a royal way. If it's a reverse situation, that woman is going to care for him in a royal way. She's not going to see this headship that is described in verse number 22. Submit yourselves to your husbands in the Lord as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of that body. It is not going to be a laborious thing. It's not going to be a hard will thing. It's not going to be me rule over you and you do what I say do and so forth and so on. It's going to be we work together. We have a family. We're committed to this. We serve the cause of the Lord. And in the process of that cause of the Lord, here you are in a marriage. Now then, where are you going to be in worship? Are you going to be in worship with a called out body of Christ? Are you going to wear another name? Be in another way? And be, as we studied in a former lesson, an unhealthy way of life. Default doctrine rather than sound doctrine. You say, well, I'm going to be a part of sound doctrine. I want to be a part of healthy doctrine. So my wife and I go to a place and we find ourselves in teaching. We find ourselves opening God's word and see what's said there. We may find that that's not in harmony what we read in God's word. And we may feel like that we're young enough that we just cannot do the battle at that point in time. We're not strong enough to go and we find ourselves moving on to find somewhere else that they teach the word of the Lord. And we do a point of comparison. By and by we settle in. and We find ourselves involved in that congregation of people. How are we going to be giving to the work that's going on for the Lord? 1 Corinthians 16 tells us, says as I've given order to the church of Galatia, so do you. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. We know that giving is to be a part of this, and how much money do we have? What are we going to do? Are we going to, are we going to make our contribution on the basis of the very last thing that we have in our billfold? Are we going to do this because the Lord wants me to seek first the kingdom of God? In Matthew 6 at 33, maybe I'll put first the contribution that I plan. And this good wife says, yes, that's the way to do it. That's the way we'll work toward it. I'll buy the kind of foods. I'll buy the kind of things that we can more make a living on. We can do all right on. We can give more to the ways of the Lord on. And here's a team that's working together for the common good of the Lord's work in that local place. Beautiful scene, is it not? Beautiful way to which we can think. And instead of it's a boss situation and a subservient situation. Here are people who are working together and laboring together to carry out this good because Christ himself is the head of the church and we are subject to him and it's because of his great love for us. He gave himself for us that we're in this relationship of great love. And as a result, we enjoy the relationship we have with Christ and his church. 
We find people around us, going back to a previous lesson of study in this gospel meeting, we find ourselves guarded by the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7. We find ourselves talking and discussing with people in class and in our home and in the backyard barbecues that take place. We're being ruled by the peace of God, umpiring my choice of words and my mannerisms in those places. And so it is that I'm working together with others that commonly have a great love for God. And we have a peaceful situation going on. It's not disharmony. It's togetherness that we have. And as a result of that, here we go. One day the announcement is made that, uh, you know, there's going to be more than just you and me in this household. There's going to be someone else we are expecting. How are they going to view that? They're going to view that as a plan. They're going to view that as the future. They're going to be like you read back there in Psalm 127. Here comes an arrow in the hand of a mighty man. They're going to be projected into the future. Guarded by that peace and ruled or umpired by that peace. What kind of child is that going to be when that child lands in the future? Why, that person's going to seek out someone who's peaceful and loving too. And no doubt now, on and on, will go the opportunity for a home, another home, other children, other ways of life. And it's in God's great, wonderful plan that that would be the case. What a beautiful thing to talk about the bride of Christ, the church of our Lord. This bride wears his name, follows his way, wants to be all that he wants us to be. He is our head. And we are willing, more than willing, to submit and work with him. Good is going to be the outcome. Happiness is going to be the outcome. Reward is going to be the outcome. And I must speak about this as I close this lesson study. One of these days... There's going to be a separation of that home. There's going to be death to come about. And standing there at the silent city of the dead, it may be a husband, it may be a wife, it may be a child. The real question that we'll have in our minds is not how much money did that person have? How much fame did that person obtain? The question of the hour is going to be, what was that person's relationship with the hereafter? With God. And in Paul's words of 1 Thessalonians 4, we walk away comforting one another with these words. This person was faithful to God. This person loved the Lord. I remember the night we talked about where we would worship the Lord, with what congregation. I remember the studies that we had. I remember the decision we made of how much we would give and how we would grow in that giving as the years came and went.
I remember the prayers that we offered for our children and for their future. I remember the guidance of those children by words of peace and mannerisms of peace. And here's come this hour. Hardly was I prepared for it. I leave this spot with hope. Or will it be the case that in sadness and sorrow we have made such choices in life that we're not united in Christ, we're not serving the Lord. Such a situation is described of that in 1 Peter chapter 3. Of a wonderful, wonderful woman who's a faithful servant of the Lord, but her husband has not yet been one to Christ. She said all that she can say, and others have said what they can say. Is there anything else that can reach him? Is there anything else she can do for him? Simon Peter writes, by her example of living the things that have been taught, though when he originally heard the word, he turned down obeying the gospel, seeing it lived out in her life, he too obeys the gospel, becomes a Christian, unites that home. They live for the Lord. And as I note, when that graveside is left, comforting one another with these words. The late good friend and preacher, Brother Charles Cole, told this particular story in regard to a situation that he knew. He could name the people. He talked about this man and wife that had, had Bible studies and the wife had obeyed the gospel. But they had both lived very rough lives up until that time. Her husband did not obey the gospel and he was rather unconvinced that she had made really any change until one day they were fisher people, fishermen. And they went fishing together and they were out in a boat and he said, that he said something to his wife out in that boat that in any other time in her life she would have reached a boat paddle across that bow of that boat and she would have knocked him out in the water. But he said, Brother Cole, she didn't do that this time. I got to thinking, why didn't she do that? She would have done that before. It must be her obedience to the gospel. He sought Brother Cole, wanted to study further, wanted to know more. Maybe that could be his way of life. It was his chosen way of life. He too was converted. And Brother Cole would use that story to tell that example of 1 Peter 3 in such a powerful way of what he knew this to be the case. This man was not one just by the word that was preached. But the example of that wife living out that word in her life convinced him to take a second look at the word and to obey that gospel. They were faithful people till they both passed away. The Psalm of Invitation provided tonight, think about your relationship with the Lord as his bride. Have you come into that bride status? Have you come into that bridal way? How can we do that? Well, notice the washing and cleansing by the water, by the word. 
Notice that particular text as you read here in Ephesians 5. When an individual hears the word of the Lord and believes, believe is important. Without faith is impossible to please God, the Hebrew writer will tell us. Hebrews 11. And in reference to this matter, we will see that people had faith there in John 12 at verse 41. They believed on him, but for fear they'd be cast out of the synagogue, they wouldn't confess him, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So that faith that they had needed to press on, needed to be obedient. Some of our friends believe that if you believe, you are saved individual. But notice that these people believe. Someone says immediately, well, they believed on the Lord. They didn't believe in the Lord. There's a difference in believing on the Lord and in the Lord. I know in our English there's a difference in being on something and in something. I realize in English. But in that text there in uh, John 12 and 41, they believed on him. It matches up with how the word on is used back in John 3 and verse 36. Those who believe on the Son have everlasting life. Did these people have everlasting life there in John 12 at 41 who chose to honor men more than God? Well, no, someone says. No, they didn't. Well, that must tell us to reassess what own means in John 3, 36 uh, and in John 12 and 41, does it? Check it out again. See that that faith was a moved faith. And as you move in faith in the book of Acts, these people repented, confessed, and were baptized into Jesus Christ. Every instance of the examples, the eight detailed examples that are given in the book of Acts show us a people who needed to be immersed into Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike, men and women. And because of that washing, they were made ready and into the bride of Christ. And as a result of that, they had a hope beyond the grave. A hope by which they could live. Can you live that way tonight? Can you have that kind of home life? Can you have that kind of relationship with the Lord as his bride? Won't you come to Jesus as we stand together and sing a word of encouragement?